Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are encouraging you to invite your friends and your neighbors to be a part of, of our family of faith. I am here because a young man invited me to youth group many years ago. Some of you are here because you were invited to go to Camp Crossroads. Um, we are all invited, and we are invited to follow Christ and to live a life of, of peace and joy in his presence. It's good to be together in this Lenten season, this Easter season, and to focus on God's word again this morning. Um, each Sunday during the Easter season, we've been looking at a characteristic or a character of Christ. Um, we looked at Jesus the King, Jesus the Servant, Last week, Jesus, the great high priest. And today, we're looking at a unique character of Christ, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, uh, I'm going to ask the children a question. Um, What does a lamb look like? Yes, what does a lamb look like? Looks like a small sheep, as Phil, who looked like a small sheep, looked uh, this morning. Yes, it's a small sheep. What else? What are some of the characteristics of a small sheep? Do they have a color? What? Well, yes. A, a lamb can be beautiful white. Yes. Anything else? What other characteristics? What is a lamb like? Are they like lions? No. How do they differ from a lion? Any idea? Well, we think about them as being pure and and sort of quiet and and frolicking, kind of like Phil. (laughs) You know, we think of them them as as being sort of a tender animal, and we care uh, tenderly for them. We think of the shepherd picking up the lost sheep, don't we? Do you ever... So you picture the, the shepherd picking up his little sheep who's, who's hurt itself and, and taking it back and caring for it. Um, lambs in, in our culture are, are symbols of gentleness and purity and innocence. This morning I called you, children, I called you our little lambs. And no one went, well, we don't have lambs here. You all went, yes, we understand. Our, our children are, are, are beautiful lambs. They're innocent. They're gentle. And we want to care for them. In fact, Matt, you have a little lamb sitting in your lap right now. Yeah, and that's where lambs are happiest, when they're, when they're cared for by their daddies. It's a, it's a tender image of Christ in the New Testament, the image of, of Jesus, the Lamb of God. So if that's what the picture of a lamb conjures up for us. But when John the Baptist mentioned Jesus being the Lamb of God, many of his followers would have been Jewish followers. Can I have that picture again? That's a beautiful... Sorry, I wasn't paying attention to the screen. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Jesus, the Lamb of God, with the the cross and the cup. That's an ancient picture. Um, When the Jews think about a lamb, it means something else to them. We talk about the sacrifice of the lamb, the lamb that was, whose blood was shed for us. Um, and many of the people who would have heard Jesus speak would have had a lamb that they would have cared for and fed and bathed the best, most beautiful lamb in the flock. And this lamb would have been the lamb that would have been taken to the temple to be sacrificed um, for the Mosaic law. The people who heard John speak of Jesus as the lamb of God would have been shocked to hear him called a lamb. 
We were looking at uh, John chapter 1 this morning. If you have your Bibles open, please feel free to... We're going to be looking from a little bit earlier than when we started. We're going to start at around 19. Um, thank you, Holdine, for reading 29 to 34. Um, in this scripture, we find John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. He was preaching a message of repentance and baptism. He was a powerful people, and the, the people were flocking out of the cities and villages to hear him. In our scripture today, we find the Pharisees, think of them as religious leaders or religious police, causing trouble because they were deeply concerned over two things. So the Pharisees are concerned because of something John the Baptist is doing. Firstly, they're concerned that he's very popular and he might undermine their authority. So the religious people were afraid of John because he was powerful. Secondly, they were worried because John the Baptist might stir up the crowds against them. And he might cause trouble with the Roman leaders and in the Roman Empire. So they were concerned for themselves. They were concerned for trouble. So they wanted to figure out who this John the Baptist was. And we'll look at these two questions today. Who is John the Baptist? And then in the, the same way, we're going to ask Jesus, who is this Lamb of God? So first, let's answer the question, who is John the Baptist? In our church, let's call him John the Anabaptist. Um, John was related to Jesus through his mother. Children, who was Jesus' mother? Children. Children. Who was, what's the name of Jesus' mother? Yes. It's Mary. Mary was Jesus' mother. And Jesus' mother had a cousin called Elizabeth. If you look at Luke 1.36, the angels say to Mary, Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was said, unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. The Greek word used for relative here is sugenes, meaning relative or um, related by blood. So Jesus' mother was Mary... John the Baptist's mother was Elizabeth, and they were related. So Jesus and John the Baptist somehow were related, as are most of you. So you can relate to this. Jesus and John the Baptist and mother, and Elizabeth was probably an aunt or a great aunt. So they were cousins one way or another. And here we have the story of Jesus speaking and meeting with John the Baptist. John was a Levite. We spoke about this last week. Levites were the priestly um, tribe. So John the Baptist was from the the priestly tribe, a Levite. Um, He was also very popular. He went out to the desert. We know him because he wore the, 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 the rough clothing and he ate insects. We love that. Have any of you ever eaten insects, children? I see that hand. I'm sorry. Um, I'm not encouraging you to eat insects, but uh, no, don't, don't, don't be like John the Baptist and eat those crickets. Um, so what's happening is John the Baptist is out in the desert baptizing people, and the religious leaders of the day are very concerned. So they send out a delegation. They say, you, you, and you, let's go and figure out what's going on. Please go and then come back and bring us a report. So we look at, beginning in verse 19, the attempt to determine who John the Baptist was. So they ask him five questions. And I'm going to look at these five questions really quickly. Uh, It starts, let me read this uh, piece of scripture, 18 to 29. It says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem 
sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. So they sent this group of people, asked him who he was. Verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Was John the Baptist the Messiah? No, he said, I am not. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. So John the Baptist is not Elijah. They asked him, are you the prophet? He answered, no, he's not the prophet. Finally, they said, well, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied with the words of Isaiah the prophet. We, I, I spoke about Isaiah just a couple weeks ago. He replied with Isaiah's words, and he said, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now the Pharisees, we're still reading scripture, verse 24, who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet? So, so why do you baptize? John, verse 26, he says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Can you imagine this group? They're thinking, well, who is this person? So the first question the Pharisees asked was, who are you? John answers, I am not the Messiah. So obviously the question was, are you the Messiah? That was their first question. Who are they looking for? Who are the Pharisees looking for, obviously? They were looking for the Messiah. And they thought, well, this this man, John the Baptist, might just be the Messiah. Let's go and find out. And he said, I am not the long-awaited-for Messiah. I'm not the anointed one. Question two, are you Elijah? And they asked him, what then are you Elijah? John said, I am not. And um, this isn't quite as easy a question. We would say, well, why would you say you're someone else? Why would you say you're one of the prophets? Well, Elijah was to be reincarnated. The prophet was to come back before the Messiah came. So they're saying, well, if you're not the Messiah, are you the one who comes before the Messiah? And John the Baptist says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not, uh, I'm not Elijah either. I'm not coming before. So he's not telling them who he is, but he's telling them who he's not. Question three, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Um, and we might be asking, well, who is the prophet? And that's from Deuteronomy 18 where it reads, I will raise up from them, from the people of God, a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in their mouth. He will tell them everything I commanded him. So they're, they're asking John the Baptist, are you then a prophet who's going to tell us everything we need to know and that will lead us to the Messiah? The, the Jews were looking for a prophet like Moses, and they thought that whoever the prophet is would accompany the Messiah. So it's all about John the Baptist being part of leading to the Messiah. So I think they got tired of guessing who John the Baptist is. Question four, then who are you? Finally, verse 22, they say, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And here's here's this beautiful answer from the book of Isaiah. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, 
I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Well, that's powerful for this delegation, this this group of Pharisees to hear. Um, The delegation wasn't content to know who John was not. They wanted to know who he was. They wanted to know what was his purpose. But John still told them more about his purpose than who he was. I'm the one in the desert, calling out in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. So the Pharisees finish up with the last question, question five. Why then are you baptizing? So they asked him, why uh, do you baptize if you are not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? He answered, I baptize with water. In three weeks' time, we will baptize with water. John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. So John's baptism distresses the leaders because baptism, baptism is known among the Jews. It was a part of how Gentiles would convert to Judaism. So they understood what baptism was. It was about Gentiles. But who was John baptizing at this time? Was it Gentiles? It was Jews. So they're saying, well, why are you baptizing Jews? Um, Jews don't need to be baptized. Uh, They believed that um, Jews, if you followed the law and if you were an obedient uh, um, Hebrew, uh, that you didn't need to be baptized. It wasn't the Gentiles who John was baptizing. It was the Jews. He was treating the Jews like they were lost sinners, that they needed salvation, they needed to be baptized. John's ministry and his message was that the Jewish religion and all of their sacrifices wasn't enough. Well, that's, that would be hard for them to, to accept, for the Pharisees to accept. No, it's all about the rules. It's all about doing what's, what's in the Torah and, and following Yahweh. And John the Baptist is saying, come and be baptized. And the one is coming who, well, we'll continue the story. So, This group of Pharisees got what they came for. They found out who John was not anyway. Um, But then he finishes. I love love the scripture where he finishes. He says, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. He left them with that. And they would have gone back and told this to the rest in the temple, to the rest of the leaders. He didn't tell us who he was, but he says someone's coming after him whose sandals he's not worthy to untie. Who was he talking about? He was talking about Jesus. They didn't know it, but he was talking about Jesus. Um, So this all happened just before the scripture that we read. So I gave you a little bit of a background. Now we get to verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he goes on, this is what I meant when I said, and here's a, here's a beautiful scripture, a man comes after me, he has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Why was John the Baptist baptizing? So that Jesus might be revealed. Then John gave the testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as, 
as a dove and remain on Jesus. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with what? John baptizes with water. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Incredible. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Wow. Wow. John the Baptist declares, so Jesus comes towards him. He's with some of the disciples. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the expression Lamb of God is is, is quite common to us. But do we really understand what it means? I think Gerhard understands sheep and lamb better than me. I have never raised a lamb. I had a bird once. I think it's different. Do, so I, I can't understand lambs in the same way you can. And I don't think I can understand the importance of those words, lamb of God, because I'm from a different culture than the Jewish culture. It's difficult for Western minds to fully appreciate the importance of John's words. But to the Jewish people of the day, the words were powerful. The Jews heard something very powerful. Let's look at three truths about the Lamb of God. First, Jesus was the Lamb who was prophesied. For centuries, Israel had known about the sacrificial Lamb. Have you heard it? about the sacrificial lamb. They had learned about it first from the story of Abraham, and and God had commanded Abraham to take Isaac. Do you remember this story? Up on the mountain to sacrifice him. And Abraham's the father and the son. They're going up the mountain. Isaac, he says, look, there's fire and there's wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Oh, my goodness. Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Knowing full well that God had told him that he had to sacrifice his son. Oh my, my goodness, that would... You are, who are fathers, imagine if that you had to sacrifice your son. And just as he was coming and he was laying Isaac um, on, the, on the wood to be sacrificed, God says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do nothing to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Wow. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram who had been caught by its horns. And that was the lamb that was sacrificed. So in calling Jesus the Lamb of God, John is telling us that Jesus is the fulfillment of that story about Abraham and Isaac. That he is the lamb that was given for the forgiveness of sins. God prophesied about a spotless lamb, his only son. And our sins are not just forgiven today, they're forgiven forever by the spotless lamb, Jesus. Second truth about Jesus, the lamb of God. Israel also knew the sacrificial lamb because of the story of the Passover. Do you remember the story of the Passover? The Jews were being held by the Pharaoh in Egypt, and Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. So God sent ten plagues on the Egyptians. As the story goes, during the tenth plague, God passes through Egypt and strikes down the firstborn sons of every household. Interesting, this is the sons and fathers' stories here and lambs. 
What did God tell the Jews to do, the Jewish families? He told them to take the blood of the lamb and mark the doors, the lintels around their house. And then their sons will not be sacrificed. Sacrifice only the lamb, put its blood on the door frames. And when God and his spirit passes over their homes, they will be protected from the plagues and their children will not die. The Passover lamb. So they knew the blood of the lamb was powerful, didn't they? So when John calls Jesus the lamb of God, that's something very powerful to the Jews. Thirdly, lastly, to the Jews, the lamb was a symbol of forgiveness of sins. In Israel, the death of an innocent lamb was a substitute for my sins. And you would, every year, you would go to the temple, you would sacrifice a lamb. The blood was shed on the altar, the the lamb itself was burnt, and this was for the forgiveness of your sins for a year. It's what you were covered. Your sins were partially covered by the blood of the lamb. So the Jews knew about this. So when you call Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, I think they had an idea of what would happen to Jesus. He was the Lamb that was provided. Oh my, powerful stuff. John was telling the people that Jesus was to be sacrificed for their sins. God had provided for our needs. Not with a Lamb, but with the Lamb of God. Central to the good news is the fact that Jesus is the sin bearer and that as the Lamb of God, he's taken the sins of the world upon himself. Powerful. Peter explained it this way in 1 Peter 1. He says, your life, uh, I have a different translation than it's on screen. I found another translation in the message that, that I loved. It says, your life is a journey you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It costs God plenty to get you out of your dead-end uh, life that you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb. On screen it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter understood what Jesus was as the Lamb of God. He's a lamb that's meant to be praised. Here's a beautiful story. Robert Morrison was a missionary in China, 1807. So a long time ago, over 200 years ago, he went to China to be a missionary, to translate the Bible. And he had a translator, a young Chinese man, who had limited English vocabulary to help him learn how to translate the Bible. Chinese, I don't know, does anyone here... Uh, read and write Chinese? None of us. Sarah and I studied uh, Mandarin a few years ago. And it's hard. It's really hard. It's a hard language. They have 7,000 pictures. So 7,000 letters in their alphabet. Can you imagine? And they combine the symbols in different ways to make words. And it's all quite brilliant. Um, So when Robert Morrison asked for what does the word righteous, how do you write the word righteous, he he asked his Chinese translator, 
And the translator said you use two symbols. On the top, righteous is the symbol of a lamb. And underneath that symbol is the symbol of a person, of me, of the first person singular, I. So righteousness is a lamb over me. So when people are writing, when our Chinese brothers and sisters are writing the word righteous, they're writing the symbol of a lamb and me. And it was interesting that Morrison used this word to symbolize Christ and me, to symbolize um, this righteousness. God, he covers me. The, The blood of the lamb covers me. And I am righteous because of his love. And he had an incredible missionary experience in China as he translated the Bible and figured out ways to reach in to Chinese culture. Jesus is called the Lamb of God 28 times in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. John wrote in Revelation 5.12, The Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, truly is worthy of all our praise. And we can say amen to that, can't we? He truly is worthy of our praise. Again, he writes, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Our Lamb who was slain is worthy of everything we have. According to the verses in John 1, verse 37, when the two disciples heard John the Baptist say, Look, here comes the Lamb of God. They immediately got up and followed Jesus. Look, here comes the Lamb of God. And they got up and they followed that Lamb. And my prayer is that during this Lenten season that we would get up and follow the Lamb. That we would live a life worthy of being called followers of Christ. That we would do the same thing. What I want you to understand from all of this Uh, This key characteristic of Jesus being the Lamb of God is that his sacrifice made us holy and blameless in the sight of God. If I came up to you and said, you are holy and blameless, how would you feel? You're holy and you're blameless. Lawrence, you're holy and you're blameless. That would humble me. That would humble me. You're holy and you're blameless. And that's who we are. And that's who we are as we come to the communion table this morning. We have the elements, the bread and the wine, representing the body and the blood. The blood of the Lamb. The blood of Christ sacrificed for us. The Lamb of God slain for us. Lawrence, when I said you're holy and blameless, does that give you a sense of gratitude for what Christ has done? Yeah, it does. Each of us. We we live in the light of his love, and it makes us grateful. And as we come to the table this morning, we come with grateful hearts. Amen? Are you grateful what Christ has done for us? Yes. I was with our four baptism candidates this morning. I am grateful for those four beautiful young lives who love Jesus and want to live for him and and want to show you publicly in three weeks' time that they love him and go through the waters of baptism. They're grateful for God's love. And I'm grateful that they're willing to stand up and say, yes, I'm a believer. 
and I love Christ. So as we come to the communion table and we take the bread and the cup, let us remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us, the lamb who was slain. Christ, the lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. He loves us. He gave his life for us. And we're grateful. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we are grateful that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thankful that we are so grateful that you gave yourself for us. And we say, Jesus, Lamb of, Lamb of God, have mercy on us. We say, Jesus, bearer of our sins, thank you. We are so grateful. We say, Jesus, Redeemer of the world, grant us your peace today. We lay our lives before you now as we approach the communion table, knowing that your love and your forgiveness meet us at your table this morning. Bless us now as we come to your table in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.